Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of Geek Vibes Live Interview. For today's interview, I'm your host, Tia Faby, and I am going to be having a really, really special guest with me today, someone who I never thought I would be speaking with just because he's probably the biggest person that I've spoken to, and I am, and I'm sure that if you have been on social media, you have heard his name as well. I will be speaking with Orlando Jones. Um, for those who are American Gods fan like I am, you know that Orla- Orlando Jones made that show as Mr. Nancy, and he, Mr. Jones, completely shocked all of us uh, early this week when he let us know that um, he had been fired from the show. So I'm just in such shock over it, and I'm going to be speaking with him. And in fact, we have Orlando Jones on the phone right now. How are you, Mr. Jones? All things considered, I'd say good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, it is, all things considered, it's fantastic to be speaking with you. I have to say that I'm a tremendous fan, um, and I'm not just trying to cast you up there. Uh, before the second season of American Gods came out, me and my co-host, we talked about all the scenes of yours that we were looking forward to. And then when we did the recap of season two, we were most of your scenes were on our top 10 list. And of course we were excited about season three. Now with you having revealed that you were in fact fired from the show. I mean, to me, that just seems like the most craziest thing I've ever heard of. So I have to ask you right off the bat. I mean, what were the emotions that were going through you when you were given that news? Um, I, I don't know that I was surprised. I think I was just uh, disappointed um, that I'd been uh, lied to and misled and, um, you know, sad uh, that I wouldn't be able to continue playing uh, a character that I enjoy so much. But, you know, that, that was and, – and, you know, uh, how do I put this um, – determined I think also at the same time uh that this that it, I was it was not a situation that I could just let go and so I wanted to just sort of take my time and be methodical uh about it uh just you know there's there's always difficulties uh at play when you're fighting a bully so you know you have to protect yourself accordingly but I think the real feeling was like wow okay this is really crazy. And then the, then I just sort of didn't say anything about it for a while. And then I just was, you know what? I think it's time now. I've, I've, I've thought about it. It's been almost three months uh, and they're clearly not going to tell anybody. And they clearly still plan on selling subscriptions and gaining viewers off of, you know, my my name and image and work because I'm still on the poster and they're not telling anybody and the clips are going viral so it was just like okay I think I think it's time to say something but I think that that it was really triggered by fans if I'm being honest I, I probably I might have sat on it longer but I didn't think that that was if I was a fan I would and I am a fan <laughs> I would be uh, I'd be really pissed if somebody did that to me. And so I just felt like out of respect, I needed to say something to the fans. And we appreciate that because um, the official Twitter page has been announcing new cast members for a while. And I believe that some fans had maybe some inkling that other characters weren't returning because of this, but I don't think that anyone ever thought that your character would never come back simply for the fact not only how popular 
the character is, but how important he is to the book. And so the people behind uh, the new showrunner and such are claiming that the whole thing is because Mr. Nancy wouldn't be focused on in season three because they are going to Lakeside. Was there ever a conversation that said, hey, we're not going to need you for season three, but if we get picked up for season four, then yes, you'll be coming back. There's been the only conversation I had was during season two and at the end of season three and when we got picked up. And that conversation has been, you will write Mr. Nancy. You'll be a producer on the show. And of course you'll play Mr. Nancy. That's the only conversation I've ever had with anybody. But the only other conversation that I had was uh, both the studio, uh, I shouldn't say not the studio, but the network absolutely wanted to talk about Anansi Boys, and Neil Gaiman and I have talked and are, are talking about Anansi Boys. So yes, that conversation happened, but never from the studio. Uh, and you know, I didn't work that much. You know, I, I, I really, I think it's kind of important for people to understand, like, you know, it was two years in between season one and season two. I did two scenes in season one, and I think I might have did, you know, 10 or 12 in season two. I, I've only worked 21 days in, in 16 months of production over the course of a little bit over three years. So, you know, how can I be surprised? It's not like I'm working. I'm, I'm not on set that often. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, most of my time was spent really, you know, advocating on behalf of, you know, the extraordinary castmates uh, that I had. And, uh, and and that's what I spent most of my season two doing. It wasn't acting. I think in season two, I worked in total, I think it was 18 days in total, all of season two. And we shot from August until mid-October. I'm sorry, we shot from April until mid-October. So. That's- those are the numbers, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's just shocking. I I can't believe to even hear that. I suppose that um, Mr. Nancy's presence was just so large. I felt like in season two, I mean, some of the most talked about scenes uh, came from you. Not only your scenes with uh, Bill Quist and Mr. Ebus. Um, I particularly like the one with uh, Pablo Schreiber's Matt Sweeney. But even the little scenes, uh, such as with um, Donar in uh, episode six, mm. um, that's episode very six, shocking. Yeah. That, yeah, um, and that's kind of shocking that it, you spent apparently such little time on set. Well, and I, you know, I guess for me, that's I, I guess I try and give people the perspective that I'm looking at it from. So I'm like, you know, that's the reality of it, right? It, and so. It's, it was very a bizarre thing because on one end, you know, they're telling you, I mean, we love your character, we love your work, but on another end, you don't really work, you know, and then you find yourself, okay, well, I'm going to write this character now. Okay, great. You know, all the characters really had that problem. Mad Sweeney had that problem. You know, the truth of the matter is the author of Mad Sweeney in season two was mostly Pablo Schreiber, and that's the truth. Mm. Uh, but because I he wasn't heard... a Writers Guild member, there was no way for him to advocate to be uh, to be compensated for the work that he was doing. But he did extraordinary work, and he's absolutely gifted. He really is. Uh, and you know, as you know, and you know, as a as as a, as seeing the visual of him because he's such a big comedic character. So for him, it, there's a lot going on in terms of directing and stunt and the whole thing and the writing. So he's He's a really gifted guy. I can't wait for Halo. But, you know, just to give you some context, it wasn't – it was just sort of a mess like that in that way, you know, unfortunate. And I guess to specifically answer your question, Crispin Glover and I were talking, and one of the things that Crispin shared with me was that he's not going to be as heavily featured in season three. But look at how they treated him. They came to him. They said, listen, we're going to change Mr. World or a bunch of people are going to play it. Instead of doing all episodes produce contract, which is what you have, we just want to do maybe a couple of episodes, and then they showed him the material. So they never spoke to me. That's the difference here. So, you know, why would you 
afford and treat Crispin with complete respect, but you're still throwing away his all episodes produced contract and asking him to do two episodes. If that's what you had wanted or what, or, or if you wanted me to do none, it, it's just, you had to have a conversation with me rather than telling me that I was going to do the job and then having somebody who I don't even work for call me. You have to understand I work for the studio. I don't work for the network, but I got a phone call from the network. I've never heard from the studio. The last time I had a conversation with anybody from the studio was via email when it got picked up. They never called me. I never got a thank you from them, except in print after this happened, but nothing. Wow. That's my relationship and, with the studio. And where, like, when you really think about it, I know that you've been vocal about it um, in your previous interviews, but why do you really think that they wanted to get rid of your character? I mean, they had to have, I would imagine, um, but I could be wrong here, that they looked at the previous two seasons, looked at the um, the reaction from fans and saw how popular Mr. Nancy was. So where is the logic to want to ax your character from the series? You're asking the same question I'm asking. It doesn't make business sense. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense business-wise to get rid of Mr. Nancy. What are you, crazy? That makes absolutely no sense. You know you're selling subscriptions and getting viewership off of Mr. Nancy because, as I said, when the funeral scene went viral in October and over November, all the fans were saying how they're going to binge and they're going to go back and they can't wait to see what happens. And they were adding them, so it's not like they didn't know because they responded with gifs of Mr. Nancy. <laughs> They knew I wasn't coming back. They knew I wasn't on the show. So my point is, none of it makes any sense, but it's not just a disorganized mess in that way because, again, at this point, they'd already told me I wasn't going to come back. I'd already asked them to send me a release letter. They've never sent me a release letter. I've never been released. No one in the studio has ever called me. The only communication officially from the studio about what is going on happened in a press release after I dropped my video. <laughs> think about that that's how crazy this mess is so that's why when people say what could the reason be i go all i can tell you is mr world the white guy they came sat down with made a contractual offer showed him material and discussed how they were going to change his character the black guy who helped them get season two done and who seems to be quite popular on the show and it makes no sense to fire because it would be horrible for a horrible business decision for you to do it him you got rid of and then you lied and said that i had a clash with the uh new showrunner who i've never spoken to wow that's <laughs> just now um, i don't know if you call that one. racist but let's agree that it's something's wrong with it <laughs> I mean, it, it certainly seems that, in a way, it, it definitely seems that there seems to be this. Uh, so I, I just want to ask pretty much, I'm just trying to figure out how to word it correctly, but you had said that, honestly, it seems like you were fired because, uh, according to the season three showrunner, you this character and how, quote-unquote, angry he was, which is pretty much the tagline for Mr. Nancy that we all love. Um, but that's <laughs> exactly. bad for, say, you know, black America. That, that was the and, showrunner's problem, right? He said that. Right. That was him. And the funny part is the people he told, like, I've been in the Writers Guild for over 25 years. So he didn't realize that he's talking to people I've known for 10, 15 years. I mean, and it, it's like coming back and, and then – He's running around telling the crew that I worked with on season two and in season one the same thing. So he's he's spreading this information around everywhere, you know. And the truth of the matter is Hollywood's a small town. So, you know, I, we all know each other, you know, particularly in this case, we spent some time together. So it was insane to me that he felt comfortable enough to walk around and do that and that there was no one there to correct him. Because if somebody had come through and they were just wantonly rambling off about, you know, Michael and Brian, I mean, hey, man slow down for a second. You weren't here. You don't know who they were. So respectfully, let's not talk about them in a way that I know is fundamentally untrue in front of me. I can't stop you from doing whatever you want to do, but in front of me, we need to have a sort of, you know, discourse that is at least honest, right? That That's kind of what human beings do when they stand for something. But 
if you don't mind him saying that kind of stuff, and it's okay. And my point is, it's apparently okay because they allowed him not only to say those things, they allowed him to say that he laid out a creative vision. And here's the really key part. They couldn't be taking a different creative division, uh, direction because the creative direction that they are talking about, we laid out at the end of season two. I know. I was in the room. <laughs> I was one of the architects of said season three vision. You're not doing anything fundamentally different than what was already laid out. We already knew he was going to Lakeside. That's why the cop pulls him over and he's Mike Ansel on the bus. Rodney Barnes, Aditi, and I wrote the season finale episode directed by Chris Byrne. What are you talking about? <laughs> we set him up for Lakeside for the war to rage more out of control, and we set up real stakes in jeopardy so that the police would be looking for him based on that shootout that happened and the grift that he pulled off in Argus because we wanted mounting pressure to make him have to hide in Lakeside while the war got crazier. So the war still has to go on between the old gods and the new gods, and Shadow has to hide out. So, And we always meet a few more gods along the way. That's part of the journey. So why would any fan assume that you were going to tear apart the foundations of the show and say that you're going in a different creative direction? No, what you did was you tore apart the characters and tossed people aside, and most of those people are people of color. <laughs> It, and it, it's baffling, honestly, because after the show, I went back, I read the book, um, and it, and obviously any adaptation is going to take some liberties. Um, obviously, we saw that with uh, Matt Sweeney's character and a few other characters, but your character the was Handmaid's so pivotal. Tale. I mean, any any book, <laughs> that's just what happens. It's not a te- it's not a book. It's a television show. They're not the same thing. They're never going to be the same thing. They can't be the same thing. They're totally different mediums. So that's just ridiculous. Like that's laughable. Like that's not what's going on here. And so you had obvious. Th- this is just there's so much information, and it really just feels baffling and like almost as if it's untrue not anything that you said but the fact that you're just not returning I mean that's just I I, as a fan I hate even hearing about this but if I don't know if you can tell me or not but where were you planning on taking Mr. Nancy in season three (sighs) you're the only person that's asked me that that's funny um it, what I was most mindful of is that that, that decision wasn't going to be 100% mine, but I would be able to architect it uh, accordingly. But what I always thought was really simple, and it's really what we started in uh, the funeral home. Bilquis is sitting on a fence that she can't sit on. She can't be old gods and new gods. And based on the narrative that is already set up, Tech Boy is sort of in a no-man's land with not a lot of allegiances right now as he just became Quantum Boy. And in Bilquis's world, he's sort of the kingmaker, right? The one that sort of liberated her with Tech. And then mm-hmm. Nancy doesn't care. I mean, Odin's a war god, so of course he's racing towards war. That's what war gods do. But I think that for me, Nancy is born of a matriarchy. So the idea that a war effort could be led by a man is an alien concept to Nancy. He he wasn't the cult he grew up in said men don't have that ability. They cannot rule. Only uh, his mom, the goddess of goddesses, that's, that's the world he's from. So in his world, he's not following, nor would he ever follow Wednesday. Wednesday is just a tactical partner. The person he's going to follow is Bilquist. So for me, season three was about put Bilquist going back Nancy doing everything in his power to restore Bilquis back to her power. 
And under her power and leadership, he would wage war, and her power and leadership would lead her to join forces with Tech Boy, and that they would be sitting present at the rebirth of Argus. And suddenly Nancy would have eyes on people, and he would also have a way to spin his narrative more effectively because he'd have Tech to help him grow his narrative. So I guess the simple version of it is what you and I are doing is – one-to-one communication, obviously, and television and movies and music are all one-to-many communication, but Twitter is many-to-many communication, and that has only existed for about 11, 12 years. It's a very new form of communication. The first two have been around all throughout human history. So it is now Nancy getting his his hands on this many-to-many communication and watching how disruptive he can be. And we're seeing how disruptive it can be in our electoral processes. We saw how it was disruptive in the early days when you could send out a tweet and then have an angry mob at the airport by the time you landed. (laughs) So we've seen it do a lot of different things, right? Remember those days? Uh, (laughs) My point is, is that it's, it's, it's that it it is still uh, tech is still a fundamental discussion. So Imagine a world where Nancy gets to put his narrative and push his narrative in clouds through his tech. Imagine the army that he would build. And ultimately, I think the fight is, is and, and the con is that Mr. World and uh, is really just a, a puppet of uh, Mr. Wednesday. It's a con. He makes up a foe to go to war with so he can go to war. And the misstep in all of it is that Nancy finds himself over with Bilquis. Bilquis becomes restored to the type of power she had, and she uses the power of love, but uh, with the rage of Nancy, uh, to defeat the new gods. But either way, Odin got his war. Make sense? I. I, first of all, I'm blown away because I'm listening to this and in my head, I don't even want to get, say, too excited because Mr. Nancy's not going to be around. So we're not even going to see that. And it sounds so fantastic because the pieces all sound like they really fit well together because I always felt that Mr. Nancy really wasn't, say, an ally to Mr. Wednesday, which who can blame him? Mr. Wednesday is crafty. He's using everyone, even those who are supposedly on his side. That's right. But Wednesday's so brilliant. He still gets his war. He gets stabbed in the back by an old God, as you might expect would happen in war. People switch sides. Secrets are traded. Same thing with tech boy. There's a stab in the back. There's already a dirty kill of Argus in season two because he betrayed Wednesday. So, Argus isn't going to go back to Wednesday, and you need Argus to have the eyes. You cannot Argus with Tech Boy, or shall we say Quantum Boy at this point. You take Bilquis. You take their ability to build worshipers and power and influence. You take Nancy's ability to polarize people with his stories, and suddenly you've got a war. But you don't think that, say, Quantum Boy is almost, say – because to me, in when you when he was revealed – it seemed like he was maybe a little monotone in a way and almost crafted that way specifically by Mr. World and new media to be more of a faithful uh, follower of Mr. World because Tech Boy was so, you know, spunky, arrogant, didn't really do everything that he was told to do. And Quantum Boy seemed much more like a more complicit uh, version of him. Yes, I think they absolutely made the complicit version that they wanted. The problem is he can be in more than one place. So, and you, we have established in the mythology of the gods that the old them doesn't really disappear. The remnants are there. So it is the remnant of the original tech boy, the one that is smoking toad skins and talking all the trash in the world. That's who partners up with Nancy. It's just a part of Quantum Boy. The other one is on the other side. This one's over on this side because this is the only way that one can thrive. But they're all Quantum wow. Boy because he's Quantum Boy. That's so cool. That's so cool. I 
really wish that we would have been able to see uh, this partnership with Mr. Nancy and Bilquis because you and Yatede um, seem like you have the most amazing chemistry with each other. Is it okay to ask, have you spoken to her or any of your castmates who are still currently on the show about what has transpired? A few have reached out. She's certainly one of the people who reached out. She is a, 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 a nerdy, sweet, loving spirit. Um, she is. And, um, you know, I always feel bad when things like this transpire because, you know, the cast really never knows what's going on because they're never in the room. So they don't really, they never get full disclosure on anything. There's a bit of keeping them in the dark. That is a part of, you know, holding the line right between the producers and the cast. Um, so they don't really realize that they, I have been, let me put it to you this way and I'll, and I'll circle back to your question. Cause I think at least I can give some context before I say what I'm going to say. Um, I have been in the room at a party while we were taking our season one victory lap and, and everything was awesome. And you meet the brass. I've absolutely been in a room where the brass, the people in charge in the studio have openly said while chit-chatting and we're standing there, nobody's listening, that they could care less about the characters of color on this show. And they didn't say it as an insult. The way they said it was, look, they love Mr. They love Mr. Uh, Wednesday. He's amazing, and he is amazing. He really is. And, you know, Shadow Moon's fine. He follows around Mr. Wednesday, and just them on the road is the most best part ever. Yep, just them, just that. And then, man, that stuff you're talking about is pretty great too, man. That's awesome. So, yeah, man, what a surprise that was. And, but, yeah, man, and, and so they're telling you, very clearly this is the show and you guys are around right so you don't give that information to cast generally and that information has just been received um because it's a part of the the process sadly um and so i don't know how they are responding to all that i mean everybody i mean you know pablo's reached out obviously online and whatnot he's shooting um, Musa and whatnot. I mean, we were we were really pretty pretty tight knit uh, bunch. I mean, w- you know what I will say is that um, one of the people who reached out to me, you know, and you know, when I'm looking at Ricky's tweets, I think to myself, man, maybe you should have played Mr. Nancy um, because <laughs> you're you're talking about things in a way that is a little strange. Um, because at the end of the day, talking about how uh, how great the season three showrunner has been to him doesn't negate the fact that the guy has had some pretty uncomfortable things to say about you know his his the way he sees the white guy who thinks he's black is not problematic to you. You see that as an ally, and I don't know how that could be possible. I don't know how it could be okay with you to try and squash the narrative of Mr. Nancy. Why, how, as, a, as a person of color, how could that be okay with you to the point that you would suggest, you know, that, you know, I'm just introducing race into the conversation to be a jerk. Like, I don't, that I don't understand at all. That just seems odd. Um, and, uh, you know, Godspeed on that one, but everybody else has been really lovely. And kind of circling back, you know, about the the problematic viewpoint that it seems that the season three showrunner has, uh, you know, with people of color. But, but how can you be it's, mad at it, right? Because that's coming from the top. That's coming from that's coming from Fremantle, Europe as Michaela Cole from Chewing Gum has pointed out in her unbelievable address at the Edinburgh TV Festival in 2018. So that's coming from there. It's communicated to here, the Fremantle here, and then it is communicated to the showrunner, right? And then if you're around and paying attention, it's pretty much communicated to the actors. So of course they hired somebody who takes that directive, right? 
And, of course, they reinforced that directive. They just happened to hire somebody who thought that they had the authority to speak and do that anyway. So why would he need somebody else's point of view? And, and the thing is, it doesn't – what I'm saying is that it's not that he's incapable of, of writing a black character. Let's be clear. Brian Fuller and Michael Green wrote the slave ship speech. It's not that way. But it's clear that they have a sensitivity and an understanding – that they can actually do that, and it's clear that someone who behaves the way you do doesn't. <laughs> it's like somebody who's yelling nigger and motherfucker at my mother all day long. Like, you know, older people tend not to like all that cursing. <laughs> so, you know, don't speak to her that way, and don't tell me that you know how to speak to her when you don't understand that you're going to have to use different words to get by with her. So another person might be able to talk to her just fine, but the way you talk to her, not quite right, and that's my point. My point is, is that it's easy to circle those individuals, and it's easy to circle a system that is doing that because Gabrielle Union is saying the same thing, same company, same thing, same treatment. It's just the same thing over and over again. This isn't a one-off, right? These people have a problem with black people, and they also have a problem with any pigment, right? And they don't care at the end of that. You know, they don't care about anything else, right? They just don't. That's it, it you know? And they like to hide behind things to pretend that uh, they really do care. And that's not really what it is. And it's unfortunate that this is what's now transpired about it, especially you would have to think that in the age of, say, social media, um, actors like yourself and uh, Miss Union, you know, can voice this and voice these injustices on social media. And it has to... I would think that they'd have to think that there's going to be a backlash in it. And so from, you know, a personal and a, uh, you know, just being right that it, it's not a right thing, but also from a business standpoint, uh, it seems just so incorrect, like what they're doing and it's being uh, brought to it's the attention. Stupid. And they're, I, they're bad businessmen. That's what I keep saying like, hey, guys, let's just put all the race stuff aside and look at the business. Doing what you're doing is bad for business, really bad for business, no question about it. Everybody, if we can all agree on one thing, it's that. So why are you doing something that is so bad for business and it's going to hurt your bottom line, and why are you trying to justify it? Is, I mean, you're a business, right, and, and that's what's so odd about it. And after doing it, as you were saying, right, you don't run a studio or a network, but it doesn't take a genius to know – that if you're going to do this very stupid thing, that there is absolutely going to be a blowback on that stupid thing. It's just you know it's going to happen no matter what you think about it. You know if you do something like this, everybody now knows that the potential exists for someone to accuse them of something. So we all try and be – we're all a little tighter than we were before because we don't know who the crazy person in the room – we don't know who the opportunist is in the room, right? Mm-hmm. So – we don't, so and, and that's the truth of it, right? And so for me, that's what's so – it's the 20 it's, – it's about to be 2020. This is the biggest entertainment company in the world and, and a significant holder of the music business because of all their contestant shows and their game shows. And this is their one scripted show in North America. And I can easily name another scripted show that they did in Europe where their dealings with and treatment of black people was abominable. And it's not just me and it's not just here because it happens on their other shows as well. And other people have complained about it. So there's nothing new here at all except no one has ever called them to task and held them accountable. That's the, that's the only difference here. No one has ever held them accountable. So they've never got a slap. They've never had anyone make them investigate them for what they did, and that's where we are now. That's what happened today. Today, Screen Actors Guild and after uh, just announced that they are investigating the claims that both Gabrielle and I made. And the thing about an investigation is awesome, and that is investigators, they're funny. They always come in and take a nice big sniff before they make an announcement, right? And if they don't smell fire, they tend to walk away because if they don't see any signs of fire and there is no fire, then they don't want to make an announcement and embarrass themselves. <laughs> so 
<laughs> I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's just that, something I've that, observed that, over time. I'm not saying that that's what's happening here. Right, right. Um, that, I mean, I think that it's warranted that, you know, someone be held accountable. And you can already see online since your announcement. I mean, it's just paired up also with what happened uh, with Gabriel Luna, uh, not Luna, sorry, Union, that, you know, it just seems like there is a problem against people of color that, needs to be held accountable to. So I see all over Twitter people saying that they're not even going to tune in to American Gods Season 3, um, and it really just seems like all around this is, you know, it was such a bad move on their part. And I have to ask, I mean, if you were asked to come back, say, after all this, to come back to American Gods, would you say yes? Okay. Sorry Hello, about Mr. that. Hello, Mr. Jones. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. It, uh, I always like to joke that these uh, podcasts are kind of cursed. Something technical always seems to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Got it. <laughs> Got it. I'm sure I was uh, yammering on about something silly, so I'll, I'll let you decide what we're talking about next. <laughs> No, not at all. Seriously, again, when this interview was even first planned, I was saying to myself, I can't believe I'm going to be speaking uh, with you, especially because of the issues that we're even talking about. Um, But I I did want to ask, you know, after all of this, what's happening? If, let's say, you were asked to come back to the show, do you think you would say yes? A problem? No, no. The the thing here is this isn't about the show. At the end of the day, um, this is about the next set of creatives that finds themselves going to work for this company, and them being able to come to work and do their work and uh, not be at war both in a fictional story on the screen and then uh, in a real-life drama behind the scenes. Um, It's just not worth that. And in this case, it's just entirely unnecessary. This wasn't a a big problematic cast with a bunch of, you know, uh, ecomaniacs. That wasn't what they had to deal with. The, The cast was not the problem at all. It was just the the unconscionable stupidity of the studio, but also just how both incompetent and pointed the things that they do are, where they just draw a very specific line where it's like, yes, we're incompetent, but we'll pay this person this. And yes, we're incompetent, but we will definitely not. Who is this Nero? What what are they doing here? Please get out of our faces. Now, and they make a very clear line there in terms of the way they do. And they just, you know, all they got to do is do regular business with people and it shouldn't be a problem. Um, It just shouldn't be, you know, I shouldn't have to deal with that. I mean, and, and they no company should be able to arbitrarily choose how they're going to treat people because my whole point is that they can see I'm black. So that, that happens to be the thing they chose with me. But let's not look at it like it's about race. They could do it to you just because you're fat or they don't like people with mustaches or they don't like the shoes you came in or you got a funny redneck accent and a rebel flag on your car, and they choose that as a reason to come after you because they don't like people who have rebel flags on their car. I'm saying you have a right to put the rebel flag on your car, and you have a right to go to work and work in, 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 in an environment where you are treated with respect, not maligned because you got a rebel flag on your car. That's what we agree to as, as humans, right, that we're all going to live in this society together. That's really what it's about for me. So for me, it's like I think it's hilarious that, you know, like, oh, man, you guys, they, they act like, oh, Orlando, you made this about race. No, it is about race because you guys wrote angry, gets shit done, and you handed it to me to perform, and then I continue doing what it does. But it's also about race because I'm a black guy and you don't like that. Okay, got that part. But 
you chose Musa because he was Muslim and brown. I mean, totally different choice going on. We're not the same human being. That's a different choice, right? You chose to break up the LGBTQ plus ship on this show, so you don't care about that. And the fact that the person who did it is gay, what does that mean? I mean, that's like dudes that have, like, no blacks on their grinder profile. I mean, I, I submit to you that people who put that kind of stuff on their grinder profile are gay and racist. That's why they say no blacks. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so just because you are doesn't mean you aren't right it's all crazy and i guess that's for me the point they shouldn't be able to arbitrarily choose whatever reason they want to choose to take money away from you and your family and to treat you like a second-class citizen i don't care what their reason is they should not be able to do that in business they run a business do what's smart for the business do what's good for the business because what's good for the business is good for the employees because then you can pay them their proper wage so business is booming and you pay your employees and all is great y'all want to treat people like a dog <laughs> business is booming and then not pay them for the work they do and then screw them out of subsequent work just so you can be a jerk about it and everybody's supposed to be cool with that because you know you're going in a different creative direction. It's like that lie doesn't even make sense, man. You didn't create the creative direction you're talking about. I did with a group of other people before you even hired this guy. Go sit down somewhere. What do you think, we're stupid? <laughs> it's true, though. It really is. Uh, not, only have you lay, not only have you laid down the foundation, but this this wasn't – you know, this is uh, based on a novel by Neil Gaiman, and to say that a character like yours is not needed, it really just se- it, it's a lie, and it seems like it that could maybe work on people who may have not read the book, um, but even then, That's even right. then, I think you could just and Google it a little. And Neil gave you the blueprint. You're so right. Like, I'm here because I'm a crazy Neil Gaiman fan. I'm here because I love Neil Gaiman. And I love Mr. Nancy, and I think it's such irony for me to find myself in a situation where, even in the madness of season two, the person who supported me was Neil Gaiman. Okay? And he didn't do so with any political agenda or anybody. He wasn't trying to piss anybody off. He was just speaking honestly as one artist to the next, being present in the moment, talking about what he had observed, and looking for the short time he was going to be able to be there because he was running another show and doing all the things he does, truly trying to find a way to lend a helping hand. I can't be mad at that. I'm sorry. That is that is that is honorable work if ever there was. So for me, the fact that that came out of it will forever make this worthwhile, right? I mean, that's just that's some fangirl shit. I'm sorry. That just makes me giddy. It just does all the squeeze, all the feels. Ooh, I love it. So for me, you know, that joy is something that I'll always love in this process. The idea of going back, however, into this process with this company and these circumstances, hell no. Would I go back, you know, with, you know, with work with these people again on the cast side or the amazing, creative, crazy, talented crew that we worked with in Toronto? Yes. Fremantle? No. Never that. No, 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 no. No. They got to fix a lot of stuff. So Neil Gaiman, obviously, as you mentioned, has another show, Good Omens, um, on Amazon Prime, which was wildly successful. If there was, say, a chance through maybe Amazon Prime or something to do uh, an Anansi Boys um, show, would you then agree to do that? Of course I go. I go go do Anansi Boys for sure with Neil or, you know, take the character Bible. I would go do a – Anansi Boys, Neil's book. If that, you know, I love Neil. I would work with Neil. Yes. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I could go play Anansi because Anansi is public domain, and I still do own a character bible on Anansi, not Mr. Nancy. So I guess I could potentially do that. We'll see. I don't know. At this point, right now, I'm going to just try and get through the madness of the moment. And but do I want to try and find a way to put this type of fan, put this type of character back in front of fans, which I think is your question. The answer to that is yes. I love the character. I would love to do a different character, but I get the, I get and understand what was interesting about this one. You know, sadly, you know, 
I think Mr. Nancy, as we once know him, knew him, unless um, Neil decides to do a Nazi boys and wants me to come do that, then I think a Nazi, as we knew him in the American God side, is over. Which is incredibly unfortunate. You are a super fan of so many things. I remember uh, all your live tweets for Supernatural, uh, your live tweets for American Gods, which were always entertaining. And um, to take maybe a step back from American Gods for just almost a second, uh, it was brought up to me by one of my colleagues, and I really wanted to ask this. Apparently there was at some point where you had wanted to play the character Black Lightning. Now, obviously that character Mm -hmm. is already cast in the CW sense, but if he was to be brought into the movie uh, realm, and we've seen that, you know, there's kind of, they pick different actors for the television shows and the movies, would you be interested Mm -hmm. in playing Black Lightning in the movies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, that, I love Black (laughs) Lightning. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I do. I, I just I, he's a character. He's kind of like a Nazi, right? He's a character from my childhood. So I just have a, a different um, connection to him, right? And I, you know, up until this point in my life, I wasn't a father, so you know, I really wasn't equipped to play him. Uh, now I feel like I am, because um, I really feel like that's Black Lightning's both his source of power and his nemesis to a degree. Is it's you know what I mean? Because anybody who's electric uh, is only interesting if they don't quite have a handle on uh, their emotional state all the time because there's something there that unhinges them. And I think that's what happens with parents, right? You're like totally, everything is cool, and you look up and slam on brakes, and then your mom or dad like will reach across the car to try and stop you from going to yeah. the windshield. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> there's this primal thing that kind of happens. So for me, Someone like him in that situation, all bets are off as to what happens in that situation in terms of uh, his outburst. So I always thought it would be amazing to be able to play that type of character who was really rooted in uh, what I think Tony Isabella did with him originally. And uh, in, in, in the gritty sense in a film, that would just be stupid fun. That would be awesome. I think so. It, it would be amazing to get you into the superhero realm. Uh, aside from Black Lightning on the DC or Marvel side, is there a character that you would just be itching to play? I mean, I'd like a crack at the Joker, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I think... Uh, I think you could have the laugh. I, I, I think you could definitely have the I, laugh down. <laughs> I, I would like, you know, I would like, I would like him. Um, I, I, you know, I think they, you know, Heath and and you know, even Jared Leto. I mean, I think everyone's done such a wonderful job with his being off sinister side, right? Um, but uh, but he's the Joker. I mean, for me, it's both that he's sinister and he's really funny. But he's it's the two of them, right? It's it's the fact that he's got you laughing at shit that you're not supposed to be laughing at because he's so fucking crazy. Um, I would like a crack at that. I, I I really feel like I could I could take that to a place that people haven't seen it and and do a version of it that uh, I could own as my own. You know, not to discount the wonderful ones that I've seen certainly. Um, I mean, those are the two that drop you know, jump to mind. I mean, I'm, I'm a crazy Frank Miller fan. So there's a bunch of stuff, uh, in his lexicon, you know, from Martha Washington and others that I'd love to get my hands on. And, you know, there's also, you know, Tony's book, you know, chosen of blood and bone. It's just, just, uh, I love that book. Um, I hear they're adapting it. And, um, yeah, I think those are sort of the ones that leap to mind. I mean, there are, obviously there's a bunch of cool stuff in the Marvel and Universe and stuff, but it'd just be about how they do it. You know, I just feel like, you know, that's a that's a very big machine, and, you know, if they open the door, I'd love to collaborate with them on something and just see what that looks like, right? I don't, I don't know if they'd have a very specific way they'd want me to play it or, you know what I mean, or if they'd allow me the ability to, to be a part of that creation process. I think I'd do better work when you let me... Um, sort of be me and, and, and do that. And I think 
you know, the more they put handcuffs on you, then the more you get something that feels like something you've already seen because generally it is. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I I do feel like I think that fans, uh, me especially, just like seeing when you are able to create what you'd like to create. And you obviously seem like you have a handle on it because you are such a super fan. You see actors who obviously they're good in their role and maybe they like that one individual character that they're playing, but someone like you, you are an actor, but you're also a fan. And I think that's when you really just have a great handle on whatever you're playing. Well, yeah, because I I think we're looking at it differently. Like, I guess for me, I'm still I'm still the kid that saw something that made me want to do this in the first place. Like, I'm still very much that person. I, I never really became a celebrity, so um, that never happened to me. I mean, it, that it, I'm, I'm from the South, so that, that I think there's also just a component of being like a Southern dude uh, uh, that makes it. I, I don't I don't have a I don't have that fake layer. I guess. I don't, I don't know what right. that is. I, mean, I don't have that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, it, it is what it is. So um, I, I can certainly, you know, talk a patois and play a character and do all that kind of stuff. You know, yes, yes, yes. But there's only, there's a limit as to, you know, before I'm just going to be like, I right, what the hell are we talking about? Like, I just can't. <laughs> it's kind of who I am. right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really feel like that's, um, has has served me well in the characters that I've been blessed to create. And it's why I like to create a different one pretty much every time. Like I love doing Frank Irving when I was doing Sleepy Hollow, just because I was like, uh, this guy. The opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's, I mean, for me, it was like, it, it, there were little things about him that I really loved. Like I loved how, his efficacy with the gun and that you could consistently see him the way, you know, and I, you know, taught myself and, and, and worked very hard to do that. But, you know, he'd be putting together a weapon while he's talking to you very nonchalantly. But to me, that gave you such a clear sense of, of his military training. You never had to say that. So you, you kind of got a sense for the way he thought. And the fact that his, daughter was in a wheelchair because of him and he didn't believe in any of this madness and he sees the headless horseman i mean he was totally to me the audience because he was the non-believer who becomes the believer and i i was really excited about playing that type of role you know because as a fan you are the audience yeah absolutely right nancy is not that at all right he is not the audience (laughs) at all (laughs) He is singularly driven by the desire for his worship and the and the conclusion of his purpose as he was programmed by his mother and father. And in his world, his daddy tolerates him <laughs> and his mother dotes on him. But because his mother is the one that runs things, his daddy better not. In fact, <laughs> nobody better not. And he knows – that if you even come at him in any way, that his mother is going to rain all that is all that is evil and holy on you because she loves that boy, and, and he makes her laugh, and he operates just like that brat. That's Nancy. Right, exactly. Um, right, Orlando. Well, he interrupts you well, in the I fucking have... room. He's such a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I just want to say, well, I still have a couple of minutes with you left. Um, I know everything that's happening, you know, from our conversation, such with American Gods. But is there anything that you are currently working on that you want to kind of promote for everyone to look out for you? Because I think fans definitely want to see more of you even outside of American Gods so there is a project that I finished uh, not long ago um, with Ethan Hawke we just did uh, James Avery's uh, The Good Lord Bird and um, we did a limited series for Showtime so it'll be eight episodes uh, one season on Showtime and uh, it is just fantastic (laughs) <laughs> it's, it is absolutely fantastic. Um, so I'm very excited about 
uh, the good Lord bird on Showtime, uh, and that'll be out uh, this year, 2020. That's coming. So uh, wow. very excited about that. And uh, and I, I will tell you one thing about it, which I just think is kind of amazing and part of the reason I wanted to do it. Uh, I don't know if you know the story of John Brown. Um, uh, so uh, there's a man. Uh, his name is John, John Brown. Uh, he was an abolitionist. Um, he was white. Um, and he vehemently believed uh, that God had put him uh, on, on this purpose of freeing uh, Negroes from slavery. So wherever he went, if you were holding Negroes a slave, he ordered you to release them. And if you didn't, he shot you down. And oh, wow. then left, making them free men. He believed that God protected him. So while others were shooting back at him and all sorts of madness was going on, he believed he was protected by God. So he was completely comfortable while people were shooting at him. He'd just be having a conversation with somebody about something else because he knew that God was not going to let those bullets hit him. That's what he believed. Um, he was successful in operating under that belief for a long time, and the thing that he believed was really lucky was this thing called the good Lord bird, if you saw it. Uh, that bird, he believed that that bird was also a sign that you were on the right path. Uh, and the story of John Brown in James McAvery's book is told by one of my favorite characters. The character's name is Onion. And Onion is a child who gets rescued from a shootout, but his father gets killed when John Brown happens upon this place to get something to eat and demands that they – you know, to get some food and to free the, the slaves. But when he sees this this young boy, he thinks he's a girl. <laughs> so when the boy tries to correct him, he cuts the boy off because, you know, they just killed some people. And they probably need to go ahead and get out of there now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so through the entire telling of the story, it's being told through the perspective of the teenage boy who is pretending to be a girl because it's better to pretend to be a girl than to be a boy because the boys, the girls have to do less work. And it doesn't put him in jeopardy in the same way. <laughs> so he's always getting flung in with all the girls. And you see the story through his eyes. It's oh, fantastic. wow. <laughs> I, it right? sounds really good. And you said 2020 it's is amazing. when it comes out. Do you have like yeah, any the good Lord bird. idea of maybe when? <laughs> I don't know. Let me look and see. They might have said something already. I mean, they're certainly announced about it. Um, let me look and see if I see when the good Lord bird is out. I mean, obviously, I'll be posting, so you'll you'll see that. But um it's uh I look forward to your live tweets on that. <laughs> <laughs> Always fun. I, oh here it is. Good Lord Bird release date. National Book Award novel best selling author. Uh they don't give a date yet. But I'm sure Showtime will. Well, either way, I really look forward to it. I think Ethan Hawke is a fantastic actor. I can't wait to see you um, upcoming in it. So anyone who's listening, please make sure that you look out Showtime 2020, The Good Lord Bird. Um, and Mr. Jones, it has been so fantastic to speak with you um, and really get your perspective, get more information on all of this. So thank you so much. And um, please just keep speaking the truth. I, I, listen, there's no, there's no turning back. I'm I'm all in. <laughs> um, listen, uh, I, I I'm fortunate to have a lot of people who I think have advocated and been a voice for me throughout the course of my life when things were difficult or whatnot. So, you know, it's my turn to step up, and I'm I'm uh, grateful to do it. And um, the one thing I, I feel confident about is at the end of this journey, uh, we're we're not, if I have anything to say about it, going to be in a situation where you go to work and then have to deal with the madness that I did. That, 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 that's going to get cleaned up. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Orlando, thank you again, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I look forward to the good Lord Bird on Showtime. You too. Thank you, and happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.